Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Here, let me do a little more stage rearrangement. Uh, give me something to hide behind in case anybody starts picking up those uh, Tony the Tiger softballs that are in the back of the room here. All right, good morning. How are y'all doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited and very grateful um, because um, Scott has given me this opportunity, and um, I just want to say th- you know, thank you uh, for everybody who's here. Um, I really appreciate being given this opportunity um, just, to kinda, just to come up and, and share. Um, I mean, it, this is, gosh, just the opportunity to speak to God's people is just, it's just amazing. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so this week, I'm actually going to complete um, a, a small series that I started um, maybe more than a month ago. Yeah, it's been a while um, on the, the promise of inheritance. Um, so the, the first two messages um, that I gave, the first one actually talked about um, what qualifies us for inheritance. What is inheritance, and why is there a promise that we'll receive one? And just to, to cover it, you know, recap very quickly, an inheritance is what we all understand as inheritance. Um, basically, we become eligible for an inheritance when someone dies, when we are designated as heirs, and when there's something to pass on. And that's what has happened. Um, Our Lord Jesus Christ died for us, and in doing so, allowed us to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And what we inherit is, I mean, it's just amazingly broad. There's so many things that we get. But um, the second message that I gave actually talked about just one of the big ones. It was eternal life. And for eternal life, you know, we, we typically, we think of it as in terms of quantity, because it's eternal life. You, you get it forever, right? And that's, that's typically what we think of. But there's another aspect of it that the Bible talks about, and when it uses the word zoe, it's about the quality of life and what all that means. And the thing is, you know, when we inherit eternal life, it gives us the option to be who God truly created us to be. You know, we become that person we were always intended. And it's a process. It's, it is a present reality, and it's also a future promise. Because as we live this life, and we live it in the Holy Spirit, we become sanctified. We, we go through this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, and in doing so, we become more and more of our true selves. And the thing is, you know what? We're not all going to be exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the only person who's exactly like Jesus. But the thing is, as we become more like him, we're going to become the unique, the uniquely gifted. You know, we we all have our our own personalities, and and God gave us those, and we're not going to get rid of those. You know, we're still going to be uniquely us. In fact, we're going to be perfectly us, but we're going to be perfectly happy in being that person. So today, what I'm going to do is actually talk about another one of the things that we inherit and uh, this one also, like eternal life, it has a present fulfillment and also has a future promise. And that is 
the promise of inheriting the kingdom of God. So first thing what I want to do is, is pray, because by golly, I, I need prayer this morning. Uh, don't know about you guys. Um, but also, too, just so that, you know, that, that God would, would help me communicate and, and help everyone to understand you know, what's involved in this promise of inheriting the kingdom of God. So Holy Spirit, have your way here this morning. Uh, as Sally was saying, you are an amazing, amazing promise, amazing helper, and we couldn't live this life without you. And so we just pray for your presence to be on us this morning. Give us vision. Give us understanding. Allow us to, to see what all is involved in this, this promise of inheriting the kingdom of God, and also, too, the responsibility that comes with it so that we would just have a passion to see the kingdom of God manifest on the earth as much as possible. And also, too, as, as we go, go forward uh, leaving this week, that um, you would just help us to see ways in which we can do that and then empower us to do so. So, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we just praise you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm actually going to start out. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. There's actually going to be quite a few verses that we're going to kind of jump through um, this morning. So if, if you're curious, if you want to know what some of those verses um, are, because unfortunately I probably will go through some quicker than, than everyone can get to them, um, please just see me afterwards. I'm happy to, to relay those to you. Um, or also, too, you can always get a recording. So the first one is uh, 1 Corinthians um, 6, 9 through 11. So again, and this is just kind of emphasized that, you know, this, this promise for inheriting the kingdom of God, present reality and also a future promise. First of all, we'll look at the, the, present, the present reality. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And I will be reading mostly out of the, uh, the NASB this morning. So it may it'll look a little different than, some parts will look a little different than the NIV. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Okay, so this, this first passage, it's kind of, it starts out a little backwards. I, I don't particularly like using the negative verses, but, uh, but the thing is, it says that Certain people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, but, and that's a really big but, something happened that qualified us for that. So as we said before, it was the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ that qualifies us for inheriting the kingdom of God. And I do want you to, to, to take note that it says inherit. It doesn't say earn. You know, it's not something that, we're gonna, that we can qualify for in, in performing actions. It's inherit. It is a gift of God that we have accepted through, the, through Jesus Christ. And the thing is, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, then everything else I'm going to talk about this morning is, applies to you. And, and that's one of the things I want you to keep in mind. Everything is applicable to you. Okay, so that talks about the present reality, saying, saying that we have inherited the kingdom of God. 
But now going on to Matthew 25, 34. This is a parable called the, um, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in this, Jesus um, is kind of concluding this parable. And in Matthew 25, 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. So now the thing is, with this particular parable, he's talking about things that are going to happen at the end, the end times, saying that there is a great judgment that's coming, and God will divide what he calls the sheep and the goats. And the people, the sheep, will inherit the kingdom of God, and the goats will go to the lake of fire. So the thing is, in, in, in that parable, he's talking about the future fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment. Okay. So the question is, though, what... What is the kingdom of God? So how in the world, okay, if, if, it, if it's supposed to be here now, but yet it's also coming in the distant future, then what is this thing that we're talking about? Okay. Um, first of all, I would like to mention that there's a couple of terms that, that are used in the Gospels um, that, are, that are really interchangeable. Uh, because it, when you read the Gospels, um, you'll, you'll see references to the kingdom quite a lot. Uh, but sometimes, uh, so for instance, in Matthew, um, primarily refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven, whereas the other Gospels, uh, and notably Luke, will use the term kingdom of God, which is, you know, which is what I'm, I keep referring to. just want to say that um, some people have, said, have tried to say that there's some differences between the two. To my understanding, that these things are really synonyms. I mean, they're interchangeable. So as you're reading the Gospels, don't I wouldn't worry too much about trying to figure out, well, oh, well what's this thing? And, and how come when I look over here, it's called, you know, this is something else. Um, and just to give you an example, in Matthew 5, 3, um, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then when you switch over to Luke 6, 20, it says, blessed are, you, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So it's, to me, it's, it's saying really that these things are the same. Okay, but what is this kingdom? So the key to understanding what the Bible is talking about um, is really to understand what the word kingdom means. Um, and I got, I got some of this information out of the, uh, the Baker Bible Dictionary. Um, it was saying that in both the Old and New Testament, the term kingdom, and I, I won't try to pronounce it in the original languages, uh, refers primarily to the rule or reign of a king. So seldom does it actually refer to a specific territory, which is typically how we think of it. As a result, in most cases, it would be better to translate the expression kingdom of God as rule of God. That, that Jesus understood it this way is evident from such passages as Luke 19.12, which says, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king which literally means to receive a kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom. And does that mean that you're supposed to go off and find the land that Jesus has claimed for his own? No. It's first of all, find, put yourself in a position to be ruled by God, and he will take care of everything else, take care of all your needs. Um, also, Mark 10.15 says, Receive the kingdom of God like a little child. So it's not saying that we're going to receive a, receive a land like a little kid, but we're going, to re, we're going to accept that relationship with God. 
as a child would. So understanding the kingdom of God as, as God's rule also makes sense um, in how Jesus talked about both the present and the future establishment of the kingdom of God. So for instance, in Luke eleven twenty, 20, uh, Jesus says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in Matthew 10, 7, it says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So these are things that says, okay, the kingdom of God is here now. While you look at other verses like the Lord's Prayer, and it talks about, you know, we actually pray, you know, your kingdom come. So therefore, we're saying it's not here yet. And also, um, when we talk about the Last Supper, even Jesus said that, uh, that he made reference to that day when I, Saint meaning Jesus, drink the cup anew uh, in the kingdom of God, saying that it's not here yet, but it's coming in the future. Um, so if you understand it's the reign of God, it's possible for Jesus to announce that, that the kingdom has come because of all the things that did happen when Jesus came to this earth. So in coming, in Jesus' coming, Satan was defeated. The outcasts of Israel uh, were being gathered, as predicted. The Old Testament promises were being fulfilled. The resurrection of the dead had begun. A new covenant was inaugurated, and the promised spirit had come as the prophets foretold. However, there still is going to come a day when the reign or the rule of God is completely manifest on the earth. And by manifest, it means it's evident, it's obvious. There will come a day when every single thing on earth will be in willing subjugation to God. <laughs> Absolutely. Hallelujah. So, in the, and the thing is, when that day comes, you know, there's not going to be any sin. There's not going to be any lack I mean, there's not going to be any sorrow. There will be no thing that is on this earth that will be inconsistent with God's will. You know, there's going to be nothing that's going to plague his sons or daughters, us. And every single one of us is going to be perfect, and we're going to be perfectly happy. So the thing is, really what we're talking about is, is degrees. We're, talking, we're saying that, okay, you know what? The kingdom of God is here now. The kingdom of God is in every single one of you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is on the inside. And also, too, it's struggling to get out. It, it, wants, to, it wants to be out there as well. But the thing is, it, we're, you know, it's to a lesser degree than what we're going to see one day. I don't know, a lesser percentage, however you want to look at it. So... So the thing is, what I want to do is actually I want to see, I want to take, take a look at, how, okay, how does this impact you? Besides just knowing that you're part of the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is in you, how, how does that affect your life at all? And to do that, what I'm going to do is actually take a little history trip here. You know, um, I want uh, a little survey of the, of the Bible to understand God's idea of, of his kingdom and, and what he has been doing um, even from the beginning of time. And also, too, just want to point out that oh, some of this information is actually, I got it from um, this book, Hosting the Presence by Bill Johnson. Um, great book. Um, we're actually doing a Bible study on Wednesday nights um, on this right now, it's, which is actually a phenomenal study. So um, if you're 
If you think, you know, if you want to know more, please take a look. Or also, too, if you'd like to come to Bible study, we'd love to have you. Yeah, get the plug in there. Um, okay, so God set in, a, set in motion a plan at the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve. So these two people marked the climax of the creation week. I mean, th- these, pe- these, these two people were the pinnacle of creation. I mean, everything else God created before, beforehand. He kept, he's like, oh, it just kept getting better and better and better. And then he ended with two people. And the thing is, what made these two people the pinnacle, the, the most amazing thing that he'd ever created, was that he created those two people in his image. I have no idea how he did it, but he somehow took a, a piece of him or you know, something like him, this, this infinite that belongs to an infinite God, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, and he fit it into two people. You know, and I have no, you know, I don't think anybody really even knows exactly what that means, what the image of God means. I mean, we have some certain ideas, but, but, that's, just, but that's what God decided to do. And he decided to do that um, because he wanted to have a relationship. He had a relationship with himself. You know, there's, you know, we have this Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, they're in perfect sync all the time. But he wanted to still, he wanted to share his goodness with other people that were like him in some way. So out of his wondrous love and grace, he, he created Adam and Eve. Okay, so I want to take a look. Genesis 2, 7 through 9 says that, and this is, this is talking specifically about Adam, because Adam and Eve were not actually created at the same time. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man who he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. So what God did is he said, okay, I got some dust, you know, can make a little pile, boom, okay, I have Adam. Okay, now I have this guy. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to plant a garden and then take him and put him in there. So the thing is, I want to see, I want to try to get across that God planted a garden. Who thinks that that would be an awesome garden? Okay, okay, good, good. So, and so the thing is, I mean, this is, I think this is really kind of foundational when we look at the kingdom of God, is that this is where God started. So God had created everything, and then, you know, he had his person, but then he created a special place on earth. And I want to get across the idea it was special because, I mean, it says God created everything, but this is like God planted. God created, took a, a piece of his creation and ordered it and put all good things there. So he said he, you know, he put the trees that were pleasing to the sight and good for food. He basically created a blessed land. And he took this guy and he put it in it, put him in there. And also, too, I, I think it's interesting, you know, it's like I didn't really think about it a lot, but when I remember when I was kind of a younger Christian, it's like I just kind of thought that God created Adam and Eve in the garden. It's not exactly true. He created Adam outside. 
So for some reason, he wanted Adam to have some experience of what it was like to be out of the garden, at least to know what was out there before he put him in. Now, I'm going to actually jump back in the Bible a little bit and take a look at Genesis 1, 27, 31. And this is a little bit of a re- different telling of creation. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every other living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was good. Okay. So there's a couple of things to look at here. All right. So, and, and this is once they're actually in the garden, because he said he created this point, Eve is there as well, and Eve was created in the garden. Okay. So God creates these people that have his image, and he commands them a few, to do a few things. I, I kind of broke them out into kind of three categories here. So I looked at the first one as being, is saying being fruitful. Um, being, what is being fruitful? So being fruitful is producing, right? Producing something. Um, and here, it's like I, I used to always kind of look at being fruitful as, you know, kind of put together, be fruitful and multiply. It's kind of, oh, we'll have kids, have kids. Well, okay, you know, could be, however... Now, there's actually five things that are mentioned. They're all kind of separated by and, this, and this, and this, and this. So I think maybe a better way to look at this is being fruitful is kind of its own thing here. So it's saying live lives that bear fruit. Live a life that where you're producing something. You're producing something good. You know, maybe something that other, even other people, other people can use. You can use and other people can use. Now, the second thing I look at is I kind of took the next two. It says... Multiply and fill the earth. Okay, so multiply is multiply. You want more. So God told them, yes, multiply. I want a lot more people. So have kids that have kids that have kids that have kids. And to the point where they will fill the earth. And that's important too. So God, okay, he said live lives that you're producing. Keep having kids until you fill the earth. And then subdue and rule. And then after that, he actually says, you know what? He even says, like, kind of list off everything. You know, everything that's on the earth, you know, I've given you this authority to go do these things. Okay, so when God said subdue and rule, what he was doing was he was delegating authority of, of the earth to man, to Adam and Eve and their descendants. So, you know, God creates, created everything, and he has ultimate authority over, over everything. However, what he said is, I'm going to entrust this to you. And when you start putting these ideas together, okay, so if you want to, so you, God created this garden. He created us in his image. You know, he wants us to, he's given us authority over all these things, and he wants us to subdue the earth. Well, if, okay, if you think about subdue, it means that, well, 
it must need to be subdued in some way. So there's something out there that God wants to bring under control. So when you start putting these ideas together, I think what God is saying, what the Bible is saying here is that, okay, I've created this garden, and I want you to expand this garden. I want you to expand this garden, this place that is, has been blessed above the rest of the world. I want you to make the rest of the world like this. And you know what? You can do it because you were created in my image. So I want you to do those same things that I have done everywhere. And you know what? I know you can't do it on your own because the world's a really big place. So I want you to have children who are, like, who are in my image until this world is full of people who are all just like me so that this whole place can be incredibly blessed. So I think that was, that was the beginning. That was, what God, that was the, the idea that God has had for this planet from the very beginning. Okay, but now, did that happen? No, it didn't happen. Because something else happened before that could be completed. Actually, before it got very far at all. And, um, and that was the fall of man. So what happens next in the garden is that Satan comes, and which actually Satan was already on, already on earth by that time anyways, but he, he comes to the garden and he tempts Eve and also by, in, and then Adam um, to break relationship with God. Because the thing is, I mean, even being created in the image of God, I mean, because, you know, we have, we have God's image. Is that enough, really, to do the things that God tells us to do? It isn't for me. I mean, I know I still have problems. Because, but there was something else I should have mentioned that was actually going on that, that, that made this, made God's um, tasking to Adam and Eve possible. And that was that they were in relationship with him. Um, in Genesis 3.8 it says, um, and this is actually after the fall happens, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Okay. Again, making a little inference here, but, okay, so they heard the sound of the Lord coming, and they hid. Okay. That means it's probably, they're probably used to the Lord coming this way. They didn't, they didn't you know, it didn't say that the Lord showed up and they hid. No, it's like they heard him coming. So, this, to me, implies that there was regular relationship with them, you know, between Adam and Eve and the Lord in this way. And that's, and that's the thing. So that, you know, having the image of God and also being in a relationship with God was what allowed them to, to carry out God's will. However, after the fall happened, that relationship was broken. Because as it says, they hid. And actually, too, it's important to note, so what actually happened during the fall? So Adam and Eve chose to, to follow the devil. They obeyed the devil through the temptation, right? He said, eat, you know, go ahead and eat the tree. And they did. So what they did is they actually, you know, they obeyed God. And as it says in Romans 6.16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one, one whom you obey, 
either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. So essentially what they did is they decided to obey the devil, so they put themselves under subjugation to him. Well, when they did that, they abdicated the authority that God had given them to do the work that he had set out. Because God had already said, I created it all, and I give you authority over everything on earth. And so when they, when they obeyed the devil, they said, okay, here's the authority that God has given us. And, and as a result, they now had to actually live on the world that was, that was ruled by the devil. And I think this is one of the reasons that uh, in Genesis, or, or excuse me, one of the reasons that, um, that the curses that they had to live with after the fall um, says in Genesis 3.17, specifically to Adam, says, Cursed to the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and, and to dust you shall return. So the thing is, now, Adam, see, you had it great. You were living in the garden, you know, a God-designed habitat. And now you have to go out and you have to deal with a world that's ruled by the devil. And I don't think that he was necessarily saying, like, you know, the, the Lord was saying, Adam, I'm going to make things hard for you. It was, now you have to deal with the consequences. Now you're going to go you're no longer to be in my specially blessed place. And the devil maintained authority over the earth for quite a while. And actually, that's why in Luke 4, 5 through 8, one of the temptations that Jesus went through when he, when he met with the devil, was the devil actually offering to give him the authority of the world back. So in Luke 4, 5 through 8, it says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me by Adam and Eve, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. You know, that's actually, we may not realize it, but I think this actually was a real temptation. Because what did, what did Jesus come for? He, he came for people. And the devil was basically saying, you know what? I have authority over everyone. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is worship me. So Jesus if he would have done that, I don't know, would he, maybe he wouldn't have had to go to, go to the cross. But the thing is, if Jesus would have done that, he would have been committing the same sin that the Adam and Eve had committed. And of course, he would never do that. Because he would be obeying the devil and giving the devil his, the authority. So the thing is, he chose not to, and he chose instead to do it the right way. And the right way being going to, the sin, going to the cross at Calvary, becoming sin for us, dying and being raised from the dead. So that he paid the price for all of our sin, and he restored the relationship that was broken at the fall of man. And also, again, adopted us, gave us a spirit of adoption of, of, for being sons and daughters of God. So in essence, Jesus got the authority back. He beat the devil. 
In fact, it says, you know, and Jesus even, I think, makes this point. He says in Matthew 28, 18, 19, the Great Commission, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So Jesus is saying, I won. I have it back. I, I, rest, I reclaimed what was lost. And in the Great Commission, what he says is, because I have all authority, go. He says, basically, I, you know what? I'm delegating it back to you guys again. That was always the plan. And he's, why is he doing it? Because he wants to see his kingdom grow, same as before. That's always been one of our purposes for being here is that God wants to work, work with us to change this world to be, like, to be like heaven. In fact, I'll even I'll make the point, okay, it doesn't even just say, Jesus didn't even say, like, I have the authority. It says, I have all authority. Okay, so how much authority does the devil have? Zero. <laughs> if he has all, that's, that, that doesn't leave any left for anyone else. In fact, actually, I even mentioned uh, Mark 16, uh, 15 through 18. Um, it even expounds on this a little bit more. It even says, you know, when you go out, you're going to see um, de- you know, demons cast out. You're going to see healing. You're going to see all the things that, that Jesus said that when you see those, the kingdom of God is at hand. He makes a point in the Gospels. He said, you know, if I'm casting out demons then the kingdom of God is at hand. And also, too, um, in Matthew 16, 19, uh, Jesus, he was talking to Peter in particular, but I think this has a much broader application. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So what he's saying is, okay, the keys, that's authority, access. And he's saying, that whatever you bind on earth, whatever you do on earth, it will have already been that way in heaven. So it's getting, again, it's getting the point across that whatever, you, you know, those things you go out and that you do in my name is to make this place look like that place. And that's the authority that he's given us. Okay. All right, so what do we do? What do we do? Okay, so now that we know, we, <laughs> we know a little bit about what we have, right? Because we have that delegated authority. And we, and we know what we're supposed to do in, in a big sense, right? Okay, so where do we go from here? And, you know, again, I'll just kind of talk in, I still have to make this pretty broad due, due to time limitations. Um, but I'll, I'll throw out a few things, um, and, I, and I think for this, uh, Bill Johnson has a wonderful quote uh, that he, he provides in, in the book. It says, God had given the entire promised land to the children of Israel. It had belonged to them all at once. It was their inheritance by promise, but they possessed it only, they possessed only what they had the ability to manage. The expression of God's dominion flowed through them according to their ability to rule well. 
they ruled well according to how well they were ruled. The same principle applies to us today. What we possess now is, an according, is according to our capacity to steward in the way that he would. So this gets back to the very beginning. You know, we are in his image. He expects us to go out and subdue, to grow his kingdom the way that he would do it. But in order to do that, we have to fall in alignment with his will. So I would say the first thing, you know, let God rule your life. Because the more he rules in your life, the more influence you're going to have on everything else out, out there around you. Because the influence we have stems from the expression of God's character through us and also our ability, and I couldn't think of a better way to say this, and our ability to get rid of the resistance for him to act. So I think there's, there's a part where we act and there's a part where he acts, but both of those are dependent on how well we let him rule in our lives. Um, and, and I'll try to give examples of this. Um, Okay, so Jamie hasn't been feeling very well lately, so that means when I come home, I, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Mom, so I'm working, I come home, taking care of Aaliyah, I'm doing dishes, I'm washing laundry, whatever needs to get done. Um, now, um, one of the things that I want to teach my daughter is patience, right? That's, that's a great thing to teach your kid. Um, am I going to be able to do that if I don't have any? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can I, can I teach somebody, can I, a friend's going through a hard time, they really need peace in their life. Can I teach them peace if I don't have any? No, no, I, I can't. So the thing is, where I'm going to try to influence someone, you know, I'm, I'm really going to need to have that, you know, fall in line with God's will in my own life. So there's that, there's the piece of, okay, what, do I, what can I do? But there's also, okay, the piece about what God does. So, I have a friend who's friend who's sick. I have a friend who's having financial problems. I have a friend who's having mental, emotional, relational problems. Whatever. Um, you know, God's probably more likely to act in their lives if, you know, if if I share His wisdom. If, if I step out in faith and pray for them. You know, God doesn't, I, mean, I don't, he doesn't have to have me do those things for him to act. By his grace, he can always intercede in, in any situation. Um, but the thing is, he's more likely to act when I'm willing to step out and, and, and do those things. Do you agree? Okay. So the thing is, if I want to see his kingdom on the outside, I first have to see his kingdom realized on the inside. Um, and one other thing I want, to, I want to make mention of before I, I close is that, because we're talking about inheritance, and, and I want to say that not, not all the inheritance that we get in regards to the kingdom of God, I think, comes directly from God. And, and, and by that, I mean that there have been a lot of things that have happened in the history of Christianity to get us to where we are today, correct? Um, so I, I don't know 
and, and I'll say on, that's on, the, on a big scale, that's on a global scale. I mean, you think about, okay, Reformation. Um, you know, for us in this house, I mean, you know, what's going on up at Bethel Church in Reading is kind of our, our mentor church. Um, we, we've taken a lot from that. Um, so, there, so there's kind of, there's big things that happen, but also there's smaller things that happen. Um, and, and by that, let's say, I'll take for instance, my, in my life, um, you know, I, I have a relationship with God that was partly influenced because I had grandparents that believed in God. Imagine the same is probably true for, for other folks, right? I mean, in some way, there was somebody who influenced you, I'm sure, to ex- accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So the thing is, what I want to get across is that we can leave a godly inheritance for other people. You know, and I think that most directly in my, in my family. So, um, you know, I, you know my, my parents weren't believers, are not believers. Um, but you know what? I want my daughter to have an amazing relationship with God. I, and, and I want her to do it faster and deeper than I ever, I ever did. You know, I, I want her to experience his joy, his peace, all of it. Everything. I want her to start living that eternal life from, from the age that she's at now. So that when she's my age, she has experienced God in a, an amazing way that I never will. And so the thing is, in my life, I want to push to get as deep a relationship with God as I can so I can give her that starting point so that she can take it farther so that my, my grandkids one day, her kids, can take it farther. And so that when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to have descendants that were just seeing amazing things with God, that have lived amazing lives with God, that, that saw the kingdom come, in, come into this world in ways that I could never even have dreamed. And, and you know what? We can all do that. You know, it, our, our ending point can be our kids' starting point it can be our, even our, our friends' starting point, everybody else around us. And so, you know, I just want to give you that charge. Just keep that in mind. You know, when you, in thinking about, you know, living my life, you know, and what do I want to leave behind? That. What else could you leave behind that would be any better than that? So... So really, when it comes down to it, I'll, I'll just leave you with those two things. Just going as far as you can with God. Um, you know, and, and the more you do, the more authority that you'll have. And also, too, you know, the more that you're going to be, leave behind as an inheritance for those who come after you. Okay. All right, that's all I had this morning. I just want to go ahead and, and pray and um, just bless you guys. And, and thank, you for, uh, thank you for blessing me and, and, and listening uh, this morning. I, just, I appreciate it. Holy Spirit, we're just calling you again um, to make this a reality. Lord God, we know that you're just ready and waiting for us to, to work with you, to, to bring more of our lives under your loving care, under your loving guidance and your authority. And we just say yes. We say yes, um, no matter what it is, especially the parts that we're having the hardest times with. Lord, just invade and do what you do. Um, just take us as far as we can go. Just, just help us to live that Zoe life now. Um, 
so that, so that we can do the job that you, that you always had for us, that, that we can spread the kingdom of God, so that we can see heaven come here, and so that we can leave behind an amazing godly inheritance so that the next generation can take it even farther. And we just thank you. We thank you for that privilege. We, we thank you that you entrust us with that authority that you've given us, but yet you don't leave us alone, but that you want to co-labor, you want to work with us, and that you are always by us, by our side, and you're always in us. And we just, we just praise you, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> oh, sorry.